Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Wednesday, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you're uh, getting through the week. Midweek check-in. I love that. I need to do that more on Wednesdays. Again, every day we can look back and say, how's the week been? And look ahead and say, how do I want the rest of it to go, right? There's always the possibility of some fluidity and some shift and change in that. And so if you don't like the way the week is going, kind of reorient that or really plan a different kind of weekend, you know, but it's your midweek check-in to make sure you're focusing on uh, mental health and uh, lots and lots of self-care, y'all. Got a great show planned for you. When you're talking about uh, some suicide prevention and ways to enhance your mental health, as well as some uh, relationship readiness discussion. Oh yeah, that's right. It's not always just about assessing is the other person uh, dateable, am I? Dateable? Am I ready to be dated? Am I going to bring good things into someone's life or do I have a lot of work to do and I'm not doing so great and I might make their life more negative and complicated? I want people to ask that. What kind of place am I in? Am I, am I in the right place to be someone's partner, right? Am I going to be good for them? And it's okay to realize, wow, if I went, if I got brought in, things might not be so great. You know, I want people to talk about relational readiness, kind of like when they talk about premarital counseling, we should be doing some pre pre dating assessments of ourselves. No shame or guilt in that, but just realizing, you know, I have an impact on other people's lives when I get brought in. We'll be talking more about that. Um, I love this kind of stuff in the news. So two stories that are kind of related. So a hundred teen boys, God bless them, shocked administrators when they all wore skirts to school. I love this. Here's the quote. They said, we're in 2020. We should be open-minded and fighting to end discrimination, homophobia, and sexism. And that's what our skirts represent. And I love that bunch of white cis hetero boys battling homophobia and sexism, wearing skirts, love it. They rolled into a school in Canada that way, really proud of them. They were there mainly and directly to protest a sexist dress code, right? So the students joined similar protests that are sweeping through Quebec to highlight arbitrary requirements imposed on girls, but not boys, and the inherent anti-LGBT rationalization behind it. I'm so proud of them. Now that dovetails into this other story, you know, again, Homophobia, that is straight people are the ones that create and sustain homophobia and enact it. It's not gay people doing it on themselves. So it's on straight people to battle and end it. And that's why I love stories like this. Here's a married father of three, heterosexual defined, also cisgender defined, who wears skirts and heels to work because he can. I love it. I love an activist. So this guy, Mark, he's a dad of three. He gets dressed fully in women's clothing. Um, He lives in Germany. He's a robotics engineer and he wears the heels and skirts every day to prove that clothes have absolutely no gender. And uh, he has 60K followers and uh, puts his pictures out there. Daily wardrobe might include something like red pumps, plaid mini skirts, and seasonally appropriate suede boots, uh, which can be paired signs with a sensible mid-calf beige pencil skirt. God bless it. 61. 
I love it. He's saying men can wear this and it doesn't mean they're gay. Men can wear this. It doesn't mean anything other than I can and I'm comfortable with that. And I want, I want more fluidity like that. I can't wait until we get rid of gender altogether, you know, because we still, it still limits people. It still creates a lot of violence. It still confuses people. And we should be living authentic, authentically. Wear what looks good to you. If you see something, buy it and wear it. It shouldn't matter who it's made for or how it's cut. Those things aren't real. That's made up. That there's boy clothes versus girl clothes versus boy cuts and cuts for girls. Like None of that's real. You know what I mean? We, we totally, totally fabricate those things. And what it really winds up doing is limiting all of our lives. You know what I mean? Like sometimes as a man, I find it so boring to go clothing shopping because we have so few options. Everything's pants or a shirt. So bored of that. And then you walk by the quote unquote women's section and there's all different kinds of styles, cuts, lanes, sizes. Yikes. That's kind of why I'm only wearing sweatpants these days. I've given up. <laughs> I mean, like I'm so bored and I'm so over it. I'm not participating anymore. Anyway, more good news. A teen ballerina who's fat. She's fat. She's larger bodied. She's challenging the uh, dancer body stereotype. I love it. You should see her move. Because um, most people, especially when you think about athletes or ballerinas, we have a lot of stereotypes. And that's why on my IG, I'll post different Olympiads bodies. And they're larger, they have bellies, uh, rolls. Because again, you can't tell someone's athleticism or strength or health by looking at their body. Health comes at all sizes. Just because you're smaller bodied or straight sized doesn't mean you're healthy. Just because you're larger bodied doesn't mean you're unhealthy. And I love that. And her name is Lizzie Howell. And she's basically proven that right. Busting stereotypes and challenging people's ideas. She's 19. She comes from Delaware. She started dancing at five and has performed all around the world. You know, and I'm, I'm proud of her and I love seeing her move that body because it's a body that a lot of people would assume wouldn't be athletic or have stamina or have grace. And she does. And we need to challenge those things. Uh, finally, let's land on a sex negative note. God bless it. Zoom is cracking down on virtual sex parties. Why? If it's adults and it's consensual, let them. Because you're also preventing people maybe going out and doing the real world and spreading COVID. Why, why do you care? Why does that matter? I don't get it. But nonetheless, the video conferencing app said it does not allow any obscene, indecent, or violent activity. Okay, well, sex is not obscene, indecent, or violent, and it's consenting adults. Why do you care? Nonetheless, they're cracking down. Which bums me out because, again, a lot of people that want more colorful, diverse sex or group-based sex, they've been using these apps, and that's where I want them to go. So that's a bummer. Less outlets. Maybe more problematic behavior. Anywho, all right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about mental health and suicide and uh, how inclusion helps reduce all of that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. Weigh on that. And uh, gosh, you know, what was it? Uh, last week, and this is something I've wanted to circle back to. I write little notes. <laughs> and it was uh, an article came out. And the Pope came forward and said, hey, I'm very supportive of civil unions. And a lot of people were like, oh, that is so phenomenal. You know, so worthy of applause. Now, on one hand, it is because it's an evolution and a push forward. Whenever any figure of Christianity or Catholicism comes forward in support of, gosh, gay or trans rights, because those usually tend to be the two sticking points, um, so heartbreakingly so, right? These populations are already marginalized and exploited, and now we have those that are supposed to be living in 
you know, the ways of Jesus and God, um, which again, remember, we've talked about this. Jesus hung out with those on the margins, right? He wasn't hanging out with the wealthy, successful people. He was hanging out with people that were sex workers. He was hanging out with the impoverished. He was hanging out with the exploited, marginalized individuals. That's who he stood up for. Jesus was an anarchist. Jesus was also very much a socialist. He was not a capitalist supporting um, all those other elements, right? He was a, moving away from capitalism and your worth being tied to money and productivity and industry. So that's always been very hypocritical, right? Now, the reason why I bring this up though, again, is when we're talking about mental health and we're talking about suicide prevention, which is a concept I'm trying to bring in more because it's tied to mental health, but I also like to just give it its own special space and recognition. What really helps is people feeling valued. Studies show over and over people having access to a caring, supportive individual. And these are studies that come out of the LGBTQIA literature that when they have at least one supportive individual in their life, that can cut the high risk of suicidality in that population almost in half. That's massive. So if you're pro-life and you're pro, you know, God and Jesus and all these Catholic and and Christianity-based perspectives and ideologies, you would want to be working towards that, right? Getting kids out of cages, making sure everyone has rights and healthcare. Um, So when I hear the Pope, uh, the most powerful figure in all of the Christian faith, saying that civil unions are are something he supports, that's great, but it's not far enough because it's still a demotion from recognizing gay marriage. So it's still one foot out. One foot in, applaud. One foot out, not good enough, do better. And I think at this point, we should expect far better because part of suicide prevention is everyone feeling like they have worth and value. Part of suicide prevention and working on mental health is giving everyone recognition, respect, and equal rights. It's the R's, rights, respect, and recognition. And denying that any of those to anyone is to promote suicidality and a lack of mental health. So you're actively working against those individuals. So it's a conversation that we need to talk, keep talking about is how what we're supporting or what we're not supporting, what is the larger impact that that has? It's so much bigger than someone just saying, oh, I think marriage is only for straight people, which literally makes no sense, right? Because we look at the high divorce rate and the high rate of cheating, clearly heterosexuals aren't honoring marriage, clearly. And it's not something that they're being successful at. So why are we relegating it only to something that they have access to? They haven't done a great job with that. And that's something that we all need to get a part of is again, rights, recognition, um, making everyone feel like they have worth and value. And so we need to have inclusion. And that's why I'm always so thankful when I see states saying that identification can be something other than male, female, so as to incorporate people that are trans or non-binary or any form of gender expression that's fluid or creative, that's important. Also, um, we this was heartbreaking because I'm someone who comes from a social work background. Uh, in Texas, the governor has removed um, a protection that now will allow social workers in Texas to deny treatment to people if they're gay or trans. That is outside of the scope of the social work you know, um, ideology and the ethics. So of course the social workers are pushing back on that. That's awesome. But why would someone want to remove protections for a, a, a minority and an exploited population? Why? What would that be about? And and to say you're doing so from your Christian faith or Christian beliefs is, is actually a misuse and a weaponization. Um, that is not what the Christian beliefs are. That's not what Christianity says. I've studied both of these for 12 years. I went to 12 years of private Catholic school. I have a very clear understanding of the Bible. 
And this is a very powerful misuse of that. And it really hurts my heart that that still exists. And so what I'm saying is, I want you all to examine your life and say, where are there areas where maybe I'm not and I should be giving respect, right? Be giving recognition and supporting the rights of individuals that are less empowered than I am. Because that's the responsibility of those in a position of power or privilege is to make sure that those below you are are, are given the benefits, lift while you climb. I mean, that was a powerful statement of the black queer feminist movement that I've that's always stuck with me. As you climb and get more access, more privilege and more power, lift those below you up with you. Why would you not wanna help those that are disempowered, right? And so I think that the religious sects of Christianity and Catholicism need to step up and do better. And so again, one foot in, one foot out when the Pope is saying that, but I want more and I want better for all these different communities. It's just not good enough. We're not going far enough because again, it's a mental health issue. It's also a bigger part of suicide prevention. Suicide prevention sometimes is reduced down to just recognizing signs of someone not doing well or considering suicide, but let's, let's go further back. Let's get people, let's not allow people to get that far along, right? Let's be more preventative further down the line so they don't get that far along where things are that bad that it's a consideration. And again, if we help create a world that people want to be a part of, if we help build and create a world that gives everyone what they need, then people won't want to consider the possibility of removing themselves from that world, right? We all have work we can do. So I I put that on you. I charge you with acknowledging where that work needs to be done and what you can do in that. Um, All right, coming up next, we're gonna be talking about an article that I wrote that got some uh, talk on my social media, and it really centers around body shaming, specifically around a lot of uh, penis shaming, which is still something that's really prevalent, something that we still find in hot comedy and humor, and also still use as an insult. So we're gonna be talking about that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris in the new channel Q and radio.com, and Two Minute Promise, we'll be back in two minutes. All right, y'all. Time to talk about uh, mental health from the perspective of the body. You know, it's interesting. We're obsessed with separating out mind and body when they're so interconnected that one impacts the other always. Anything that happens with or to our body impacts our mental functioning. And anything that impacts our mental functioning can often have what we call a somaticized outcome where our body either acts it out, holds it, or is impacted by it. But bigger than that, when we talk about sexual health and wellness, and we go even further and just talk about general self-esteem, we can't leave out how we both feel about our body, but also how our culture treats the body that we have. And certain people are still seen as um, subject for mocking or criticism. And I wrote an article on penis pride. How do we start to develop a culture where everyone feels secure in what they were born with? And we're still very much um, willing to mock smaller penis sizes. And I see that used to ridicule someone. Well, they'll say, oh, they must have a small penis. Um, and it's also something that we're, we're allowed to still joke about publicly, not realizing that for those individuals that don't meet what has been set up as this bizarre standard of size being tied to worth or masculinity, it's really rough on their mental health. And it's an unfair expectation, right? Because we are born into the body that we're born into, and we're at the mercy of whatever culture has decided that that body has in terms of worth and value. And there's not much we can do. So we have to work on the micro level and the macro level. The macro level means we have to stop making that an acceptable joke. It's body shaming. We're, we're, We're getting better about not shaming larger bodies and fatness, but shaming penis size and making penis size jokes is a part of body shaming, 100%, absolutely. And we have to stop people from making that normalized. Call it out when you hear someone saying that. Hey, if you wanna put down that person find another way to do it. 
right? Or we have to we have to make that not so normal. We also have to back off of the idea that bigger is better because it depends on really also what you're looking for. And I don't really so much want to get into that territory. That's something for another segment, another show. Um, but just understand that everybody has the capacity, everybody as in B-O-D-Y, um, has the capacity of providing pleasure. We have fingers, we have tongues, we have toys, and the expectation shouldn't just be on that part. Now, going further than that, remember, it's not just how others on a macro level talk about penis size and bodies, but it's also how you talk about yourself and how you talk about others. And also how you let others talk about that topic in front of you. Because you're internalizing some of that. And even if you're not someone who is really relating to this topic because you have a larger penis or you are a non-penis owner, you still play a part in perpetuating that anxiety and that pressure and all the insecurity that stems from that or making people feel secure and safe as they are. And that's the work that we all need to do. And so on the micro level, again, it's okay to stop conversations. I'm constantly doing it. Hey, I'm gonna stop you. What you're saying is really hard to hear. It's kind of body shaming. Let's not talk like that. I do that all the time. And if I hear myself shaming myself for whatever the purpose or reason is, I'll stop and say, talk kindly about yourself. Talk better about yourself. Because my self-talk matters. The talk I let people engage in around me matters and also what I allow in the larger world. And so I call that out on all those different levels to be part of changing what is a really problematic system that we allow, right? And you know, just a side note with the whole comedic piece, good comedy doesn't leave anyone feeling bad. Good comedy is about making people laugh, everyone laugh. And if your comedy is rooted in mocking certain kinds of people, well, then you're a really bad comic. Com comedy has ethics. You know, we have this, that that title comedian is a made up title. We all could use that if we wanted. Oh, well, I was just being funny. I'm a comedian. Well, that doesn't make bad behavior okay. Harm, harm on someone doesn't get made okay because you quote unquote say, well, I'm a comedian. You know, and I've talked with and interviewed some of the top comedians in our culture and they all were talking about this and they were all agreeing that it's a very lazy form of comedy to mock disenfranchised people. That really good comics talk about things that don't target anyone. You know, and we're trying to evolve with a better ethic. So it's not policing, it's compassion, really caring about the impact you have on others. And so get better about, again, the self-talk. But I also want to go larger, and I put the article out. Um, it's on my social media. And I was also acknowledging that, you know, pornography is a real big part of a lot of people's sexuality, female and male and everything in between and outside of that. And for penis owners, it becomes a really profound part of their solo sex life. And you want to pay attention to the impact of what you're watching. Are you normalizing larger penises by constantly watching that kind of porn? Um, and if you don't have a larger penis, well, what kind of impact is that having on you when you're constantly normalizing that that's the expectation, that's what I need? I always tell people, watch porn that reflects back the kind of body you have, whatever that means, and reminds you of its value, of its desirability, of its beauty, of all that it can do. So really pay attention because that's, a, that's an entry point. You know, that's an area where we can really shift what we're looking at and what we personally normalize and what we allow our size, ourselves to find desirable. You know, all of those things matter. There's so many entry points into our psyche and our self-worth, and we want to really acknowledge all of them, all the different things we bathe ourselves in psychologically. It all matters. You know, mental health, it's a lot of work. It's about setting a lot of boundaries, you know, but it's worthwhile. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to be doing some DMs, so stick around for that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. 
And we want you to explore with confidence. These DMs come from our Loveland IG page. Slide on in there and drop them down. Uh, this one is long, so bear with us. It says, hi, Dr. Chris. My name is Lauren. I'm 24, and I'm dating this guy who's 28. He has two kids, which I knew about before I got into the relationship, and it's been my choice to stay. But here's my problem. We've been dating for almost a year, and at the beginning, he would tell me how good of a dad he wants to be, but that his ex is crazy and wouldn't let him see the kids very often. Maybe once a month, which is still fine with me. Then the pandemic hit, and he said she wouldn't let him see them at all, which I understood. But it's been almost eight months, maybe more, since he's seen his kids. Every time I try to bring it up, I let him know I'm supportive and would love to spend time with them as well, but he just brushes it off. He says he pays child support, but it's not like I go through his bank account. I'm not start. I'm, I'm starting to get the feeling that maybe he doesn't want to see the kids. Maybe he's not being truthful with me. I thought about reaching out to her, but that just seems like I'm overstepping. I don't mind that he has kids, but if he does, I want him to be a good father. How can I say that to him? Oof. Uh, definitely don't reach out to her. <laughs> that is a horrible boundary. Your issues with him, you go to him. I'm not a fan of people reaching out to others, going through their phone. That's that's emotionally abusive. It's poorly boundaried. That's not that's not a solution because you still have to go back to him. Like you can go whatever direction you want, but at some point you have to circle back and face the person, him, and and what you think and what you feel. Go directly to him. Cut all that out. But I, I, I guess I'm a little confused as to why this is such a big deal to you, the relationship he has with his children. Is it just because ethically you would be concerned if he wasn't? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the question. Like, what what is your biggest concern? Because maybe he doesn't want a relationship with them. Maybe his understanding is being a dad is just sending money over. Unfortunately, a lot of fathers think that, that if I send money over, I'm doing my job. It's like, it's far bigger than that, buddy. Being a good father is the same things as being a good mother, the same thing as being a good caretaker. It's not gendered. You have to be present, be available, be consistent, and be kind. And he's doing none of those things, but that's up to him. If he doesn't want to be a good father, that's on him. So I know there's a disparity between what he says and what he does, but we're all hypocritical. So is it that you're just wondering if he's a good person? I'm trying to like figure out what the bigger question is here because maybe he doesn't want a relationship with them. Maybe he's comfortable with what it is. Maybe he's scared of the mom. You know what I mean? I don't know. But again, you have to go to him. And I appreciate him brushing it off, but I'm wondering why you're hanging on to it so much. There's so many things to be considering right now. It's interesting to me that that's the one you're going to. Um, so again, my advice is just, he's your, he's your outlet and resource around this. Ask yourself why this is so important to you and whatever the deeper, true question or meaning is, talk to him about that. But bigger than that, if he doesn't want a relationship with his kids, then so it is, you know, we, I don't want you to force one cause then you're making it about you. Cause right now it's about you. And that's why I'm trying to figure out what the deeper meaning is. He's, he's content. So then in theory, he's good. So it's your issue and you have to kind of figure out what that's about. So, um, yeah, hang in there, figure that one out. I know that. Yeah, yeah, there it is. <laughs> and that's the difficulty in relationships sometimes, right? Is we project, um, or understandably we see someone's behavior and we wonder what that means for us. And that's what I'm trying to get to. I wonder if you're concerned about his level of care and compassion in general, right? Like what's the personalized value that you're putting on this? And also COVID's a strange time. Again, not, not supporting bad behavior, but like it's a strange time where it's risky to be around people, to be around others. And I don't know what kind of vulnerability this topic might be uncovering for him, uh, for him and that might be why he's avoiding it. But um, you, have to ask some, you have to ask some bigger questions of both of you. But again, I want everyone to have the kind of relationship where they can have difficult to have kind of conversations. So use this as an opportunity to practice that. And again, topics aren't always resolved in one talk. Sometimes they take weeks, months, or years, and we keep circling back slowly because people have limits and things trigger things. 
And usually when we bring up a topic, all sorts of other things come up. So there's so much in that. All right, y'all, Slime the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex of world. We want you to support confidence. Coming up next, we're going to talk about relational readiness. Uh, that's right. Just because you're single does not mean you're ready for a relationship. we got to do a little more self-reflection and exploration. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about self-care. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, relational readiness. Have you ever heard that word? Probably not. Most people have never heard of it. It's a term I bring into my clinical practice with the patients that I work with. Still doing telemedicine, online only, uh, not safe to return to the office. It's not going to be that way for a long time. But relational readiness is something that I wish we all assessed. Being single (laughs) doesn't mean you're ready for a relationship. Every time you enter someone's life, in any form of relationship, but let's just think right now romantically, you're bringing your stuff in. So the relational readiness is a question we should all ask ourselves. Am I in a position where if I am brought into someone's life because they start dating me, am I gonna be good for them or would I be bad for them? What am I bringing in with me? Do I have a lot of unresolved trauma and a lot of work to do? Or do I feel like I'm in a good place where if I get brought in, I'll be, I'll be good for them, I'll make their life better? Or might I make their life more complicated and harder because I'm erratic, I'm very reactive, my, my triggers are flaring? And that's the question I want people to ask. It, it's not always just about ass- assessing the other, which is what people are very prone to doing, like looking for red flags in others, seeing what kind of partner the other person could be. But what about us? What are our red flags? And it's a really hard introspective thing. But again, if you're not doing well in any of your relationships, socially, familiarly, or work, it might be a sign to do some personal work before you get brought in in that much of an intimate way to someone's life romantically. You're not ready. If, you're, if your last relationships ended poorly, you were always upset and triggered, they, you know, and again, here's the powerful question I ask. If I were to interview your exes, what would they tell me about you? And if it's all bad negative things, well then you probably aren't relationally ready to enter someone's life, right? And you know you're ready when you've examined your triggers and you know what they are, you're prepared to acknowledge that that's a sign of where your work is. Because remember, if we're triggered, that's a sign of where we have to do work. It's not a sign of our partner shouldn't trigger us. It's we have a wound there and we need to heal it. It shows us where our work is. Our triggers are a mirror being held up so we can learn about who we are and what we need to work on. If you have a lot of them and they're flaring, you're not ready to be dated, right? I'm, I'm using that word purposely. You're not ready to be dated. You're not ready to be brought into someone's life. What is your mental health like right now? How are you doing? Not great? Maybe not the best time to be brought into someone else's life. Have you done trauma work? Have you done therapy? Any, any, any self-explorative processes where you're introspective based on what you're reading and journaling, spiritual practice? Are you ready? Are you in a great place to be dated? Are you dateable? What kind of relational readiness do you have? And I wish that that was something people will sometimes talk about premarital counseling, realizing how much of a big step that can be. Well, we should also be doing that on our own prior to just getting into the dating world. And I people hate that that entry point, but look back at who you were with your past relationships. Give yourself a letter grade. And if you're not doing somewhere in a B or an A, you're not ready. Get yourself up there. Do some work. Some of the most beautiful stuff I'll do is a client enters saying, I want to work on who I am because I want to date again. And I have a lot of leftover trauma or I know I was really horrible with the relationships I was in prior. I had to do that myself. You know, I came out of a relationship where the partner said to me, you know, really let me know what it was like. And I said, I don't ever want someone to walk away from having been 
in my presence relationally being worse off. That the Life is hard enough as it is. I don't want my presence to make it more difficult. I want people to date me or to be with me sexually and to say, I feel neutral or better. I'm glad that that occurred, you know? And so our exes, I tell clients to ask all the time, ask people about their ex. And the way they talk about their ex is gonna let you know if they leave lovingly, if they leave respectfully, but if they have horrible things to say about their ex, they're not friends with them anymore, they burn things down, that's a red flag. But I want you to assess yourself. If that's your storyline, you might not be dateable. You might not be relationally ready, again, to be brought into someone's life. Because our mental health and our mental functioning is an accumulation of all the people we're socializing around. Are your friends holding the bar high for you and demanding your best? Or are they supporting and signing off on your bad behavior? You know, that's work too, changing the health of the people you're socializing with, right? Getting into therapy and undoing some of that early childhood trauma. No more blaming others. You're responsible for who you are now and what you go do with that. We have to make you responsible for that, you know? It's okay to look back and make someone who created some of that responsible, but you're responsible for what you do with that. You have to be, no one else's. Um, and so again, it's about assessing others, how, you know, how dateable is this person? Are there any red flags? But again, bringing it back to self. And I've said this before, but I really know that someone is doing good work when they talk about themselves, especially in couples therapy. They come in saying, Hey, Dr. Chris, let me let you know what I'm proud of that I did over the week. Let me also share with you areas where I want to improve because I wasn't proud. And the person isn't talking about their partner. They're talking about themselves. They're very self-focused. And they have what we call an observing ego where they're watching and monitoring themselves and seeing what kind of person they're being and tracking. That's a beautiful sign of health. So try to do more of that. And until you've worked on and handled your stuff, we can't even begin to look at the partner you're with because they're responding to you. It's a feedback loop. So as as soon as you can make yourself a non-variable, then we can examine them. But until then, you're still part of perpetuating and feeding that system that's broken or not working. So more questioning of self, more self-focus, more asking, am I dateable right now? right? Am I relationally ready? Am I going to be a good partner? Am I going to make someone's life better by being brought in? We'll talk more about it. Uh, I want to remember to bring this up often to keep that reminder. Um, All right, y'all. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Oh, right. We're back and we're going to talk a little bit about self-care. You know, I read these articles and everyone, <laughs> I bring it up to new clients, right? And I'll say, what kind of self-care do you do? And sometimes I get a blank stare. I thought it was a more commonly known term, but I think sadly, some people think it means candles and bubble baths and, you know, spending money and purchasing things and these very dramatic expressions, but it can be the most basic of things. You know, sometimes self-care is just setting a boundary with how available you are. Sometimes self-care is canceling plans. You know, so, you know, it's these subtle things. And we have to remember that it's not always an object. It's not always an activity. Sometimes it's just something subtle, like boundary setting, putting your phone down for a few hours, not being accessible, turning your phone ringer off. One of the newfound ways, and this is like a credit to Nicole Alvarez. She's a, you know, K-Rock host. I'm sure you're all familiar with her. Such a beautiful soul. And she reminded me how important it is to spend time just listening to music. And I've built that in daily, daily. I spend 30 minutes plus just sitting in my bedroom listening to music. It's such a passive way of actively engaging in self-care where you're, you're not sleeping, you're not napping, which if you do that, that's great and okay too, but you're just zoning out. You're letting your mind wander. You're just listening to music. You're just being in your body, letting the music transport you. It's so stunning. I lay in my bed on top of it. I turn the lights down, my phone's off, put in my earbuds, and I just play music. And I just let time go, you know? And, I, and 
it's such a stunning thing. So I'm just trying to remind y'all that self-care can be these very subtle things. Also can be about eating, eating intuitively. Am I hungry? What is my body asking for versus forcing or following diet culture-based behavior and you know um, the meal planning and the time away from food and instead just seeing what your body wants and, and giving into it, eating slow chewing slow, sitting with the food, sitting with the experience, right? Really being present, also just moving. You know, I, I'm, I'm against toxic gym culture, which is this idea that your health is tied to how you look, and we know that health isn't tied to how someone looks. We can't tell by looking at someone how healthy they are. Um, but movement's beautiful, and I want movement to be a part of self-care for people that are interested in that or able to do that. Not everyone is able to move, but those that are, you know, there's so many ways to do it. I, I think I shared that I had a client that was reminding me of old school things. You know, she was talking about roller skating and hula hooping and that's her exercise, that's her working out. And it's so full of joy for her because it brings her back to these early childhood moments. And again, self-care can be so simple. And we have to get away from the idea of childishness versus adulthood. Those are not true distinctions. Engaging in old school childlike behavior is often more honest and more rooted in self-care than these adult pressures and expectations, which aren't real. So moving your body, dancing, stretching. You can play music and just dance around your house. You know, there's something really stunning in that freedom and letting your body lead you. Going for a walk, spending time with nature, sitting in nature, just taking your shoes off and letting your bare feet touch the dirt or the earth or the water. That's always when I have access to that. One of the most healing, soothing things. Connecting with the earth because some of us, if I said, when's the last time your bare feet touched the bare raw earth? Some people would say years. We need that. It's called ecotherapy. We, we leave out the important connection with the environment and our ecology. We need to be bringing that back in. Really necessary reminder. Sometimes self-care is also just your space around you, cleaning up, making it less messy, or the opposite, letting it be messy, realizing that your worth isn't tied to how tidy your space is, that it's okay to put your energy uh, or focus onto something else. So it can go either way, right? Just building a space that makes sense to you. And then for some, it's gonna be those practices like meditation. Not everyone's built for meditation, but remember meditation can be, like I said, laying in my bed listening to music. That's meditation. Meditation is about a right brain process. Meditation is about letting go of thought. Med meditation is about letting your mind wander. It doesn't have to be sitting in the lotus position. You can meditate by walking around, walking meditation. You can meditate by daydreaming. We call it active imagination, where you just let your mind wander and you develop fantasies, where you're maybe a superhero or you're having the job of your dreams. Like I love people using fantasy and active imagination. All these different things are self-care. You know, how we talk about ourselves. Another really dynamic one that has been profound for me is wearing clothing that's comfortable. I no longer will wear clothing that's not comfortable. I wasn't aware that I was wearing clothing that was really tight or restrictive in my movements or fabrics that didn't feel good. No more. I keep saying jokingly and seriously, I'm going to wear sweatpants everywhere I can, black sweatpants. And if I can't wear them, then it's probably not the right space for me because I'm not about classism, fashion rules, and someone's worth being tied to what they're wearing or how much money they spend. And wearing soft cotton shirts and everything I'm wearing is very baggy, cotton, you know, because it feels good, I can move around. And, and that's part of taking care of your body. That's part of body positivity, wearing things that feel good on your body and wearing things that feel good to be in, you know, especially when we're working home. I'm doing therapy, sitting still for hours a day and then recording my show. It's a lot of sitting. And so I honor my body and I do self-care by wearing comfortable things that feel good, caring less about how I look, right? Not needing to wear something fashionable or quote unquote professional. I don't want to be professional. I want to be me. 
I don't want to be fashionable. I want to be me. I don't want to have to spend a lot of money on my clothes. I want to wear what's comfortable for me, what I like to see myself in. And that's what I want to come out of this time, this pandemic, is people going back to the truth, going back to what's real, going back to what matters, letting go of these stupid ideals as to having a gym body, wearing high fashion things, spending money. Nah, let's get comfortable. I'm loving seeing people that aren't dyeing their hair and they have gray in their hair and their hair's big and their hair's wild. I love it. We're moving towards freedom, towards truth, towards authenticity, towards liberation. More of that, more of that. Let's let our bodies be what they are. Let's move, let's eat what we eat, what feels good, and let's just be where we are. So I'm hoping that that's what comes out of this and we still have time to let that be the focus. So focus more on pleasure. What feels good to me to eat? What feels good to me to, in what ways do I wanna see my home that feels good to me, right? It's all about connecting with pleasure, and that's the guide. That's the barometer. What will bring me pleasure in this moment? To wear, to see in my home, to eat in terms of moving my body, because even working out, it doesn't have to be stressful and sweaty and no pain, no gain. That's crap. Working out can be fun. Movement, dancing, singing, stretching, yoga. Do it for fun. When it's not fun anymore, stop. If you're not enjoying what you're doing, do something else, right? Root it in fun, root it in pleasure. That's the basis of self-care. All right, y'all, coming up next, question of the night. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time for question of the night. Question of the night is always on our Love Line IG page in the stories. This one asked, since Halloween is coming up, oh yeah, it doesn't feel like it. Whenever I hear that word, I go, really? Because I don't see the signs of Halloween, which I think for me is normally hearing music when I'm out in the world, seeing decorations, talk about Halloween plans. None of those things are existing. So I'm always like, oh yeah, Halloween. Uh, Halloween's coming up. What are some of the worst Halloween pranks you've ever seen? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh yeah, these are horrible. Um, <laughs> one North Carolina family decided to decorate for Halloween by dangling a dummy from the edge of their second story roof as if he had been cleaning the gutters and suddenly slipped and fell off the roof. Someone spotted the scene and called the fire department who came and took the man to the hospital. Y'all, <laughs> I saw a photo online of a couple who set up some kind of like it's hard to explain. You had to see it, but it looked like their house was on fire, like flames and smoke. And people kept calling the fire department. You know, the fire department and the police have, have other things to worry about. <laughs> I don't want them spending their time in EMTs as well, trying to help dummies that haven't gotten harmed or houses that aren't on fire. So just be very thoughtful. Maybe put a sign up, but more importantly, like really, <laughs> God, be a little more thoughtful. Other Halloween pranks, uh, someone else wrote in saying a man in Central California got a dummy, covered it in blood, all these dummies, and put it underneath a tractor. The local police department received over 30 calls from cars passing by about a man being run over. When the police and the ambulance arrived, the man who owned the lawnmower was laughing. He was cited for a fake report. Yeah, man, that's not funny. Those departments have other things to worry about, you know? And you're laughing about it? Like... I don't know. I just don't, I never thought pranks were funny. I think being funny is funny, but like pranks got to be very cautious. You know what I mean? Some of them involve hitting people and really scaring them. And like, you can trigger trauma. And I know you're, some of you are probably rolling your eyes being like, you're being too sensitive, but like, just be very thoughtful. <laughs> oh my God. Again, the question tonight is about Halloween pranks that you've seen that are some of the best. These aren't really the best. Uh, the worst, sorry, yes, some of the worst. Thank you for qualifying that. Somebody else said that a father, they read about a father who pretended to, oh, I can't even read that one. This one is a, a fake murder, you guys. And then pretended to turn into zombies. I can't even read it. This is really harsh. This one's a little intense. Don't horrify your children. Please don't do anything that fakes death. 
Like that's a moment that you don't want someone to have to encounter if it's not a real moment. You know, and this is coming from someone who's lost people. Oh my gosh, these are horrible. Again, question of the night is Halloween's coming. And what are some of the worst pranks you've seen? These are horrible. Somebody else said a teacher in a Massachusetts high school classroom heard a knock on the door and instructed one of his 15-year-old students to answer it. When the kid opened the door, another teacher, what, was standing on the other side wearing a mask and wielding a chainsaw. He tried to run away but tripped over a chair and fractured his knee. The parents sued the school for $100,000 and the teacher was fired. Yeah, that's not funny. Schools have a lot of violence and threats. That's horrifying. What if the student did something really life-threatening to the teacher in costume. Like these things can go really wrong. When people think their lives are being threatened, they can fight back um, needlessly or injure or, or harm someone else. Oh my gosh, you guys, <laughs> this is horrible. I don't even like reading these. Again, we're some of the worst Halloween pranks. I'll continue on because this is what we're doing right now. A guy was dressed as an armed robber and left a party. He forgot to take off his costume, went into a coffee shop with a fake gun over his shoulder, but still wearing a robber's mask. The barista tripped the silent alarm, which caused the cops to show up and arrest him. Turns out he was just drunk and forgot, and they let him go. Who needs that mess? Both the barista and the people. <laughs> God. Whatever happened, I was just wearing kooky costumes. You know what I mean? Dressing up like tacos and pizzas. I went through a phase where every costume was like food. It says a lot, though. These are, these are amazing, these stories, you guys. Uh, we'll do one more. In a viral Twitter post, a 20-year-old student from Ohio was driving home from her school's play. She was in the production of Carrie over. You know where this one's going. It was covered in fake blood. On her way home, she got into a car accident. When the first responders got to the scene, the woman came out of the car and was covered in fake blood. The responder thought she was bleeding and tried to help her, but when she refused, they called for backup. Finally, they realized she wasn't actually bleeding. I love this. And they just laughed it off. Oh my God. Anyway, <laughs> be safe around Halloween. Also remember, even though things have to be different, they can still be fun, right? We were talking about this in another segment. You can still dress up. You can still walk around outside. Just don't knock on people's doors and congregate in groups. You can still um, watch movies. You can still carve a pumpkin and eat candy and make cookies and stuff. Like it can still be really fun and adorable. Play the music, watch the movies, wear a costume. Like there's so many ways we can still participate. Go shopping in your costume. Just be thoughtful about not wearing an exploited or marginalized person's culture as a costume. Like no, no Indians in a headdress, you know, saying, oh, I think indigenous people's culture and, and whatnot is a costume and all sorts of that. So just be really, really, really thoughtful this year. We're always trying to be better, right? We're always trying to be better. All right, y'all. Thanks to those that participated. The question night for tomorrow is now up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. Coming up next, we're going to be closing out with some DMs. But we'll be back in two minutes with the two-minute promise. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore it with confidence. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I, I'm in a little bit of a pickle. I work in an office and we just got back. We just got to go back maybe like a month ago. I guess I was just really horny. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I don't know. I came onto the janitor and now we're hooking up every chance we get. I'm not falling for him, but he's falling for me, except he's straight. I told him that I would give him a chance if he came out, but he said, no way, but we keep having sex. He's a really nice guy, but I feel like if I avoid him now, it'll be awkward. 
The other thing is, I feel like it's not my place to tell someone when to come out. Although we're both well into our 30s, what should I do? Keep poking up even though he's fallen for me or just let him go without pushing him to come out? Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's not your place to make someone come out. And I, 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 I don't like when people say it's always best to come out. No, it's not. For some people, it's really unsafe. And I want people to come out once they've done the work of really being comfortable and confident in who they are. And this person isn't. And so it would be a mistake to come out. It'd be quite traumatic. We don't ever want to force someone out or pull them out. And that's why I absolutely have a lot of issue with gossip. Well, gossip columnists, I cannot stand. I don't like gossip. And I don't think it's okay for us to pull people out of the closet publicly. So the people that run blogs where they're, you know, pulling people out, that's so traumatizing and not acceptable. And it's not safe for everyone to come out. And everyone doesn't even know who they are. So then they don't even know what to come out with. So it's not for you to decide. And this person isn't in a position where they're looking for that. So yeah, all that's available if interested is the secret of sex. If that's working for you, great. Now, someone's falling for you, yeah, look, remember, healthy sex means we're aware of how we impact others. We don't patronizingly make decisions for them of what's right for them, that's not okay, but if you think this person's falling for you and sex is making it hard for them, well then, I can't imagine it's the kind of sex you wanna be having. Don't you wanna have sex with people that are fully consenting and aware and interested in what's available? And if this person wants more and you don't, I would stop having sex with them. It's not gonna work out for either of you unless you're both comfortable with it just being what it is. And if that's the case, great, enjoy. You know what I mean? Then it's on you to worry about, you know, the company's policies and getting caught and all that sort of stuff. But that's a whole nother question because you're not asking me about that. But yeah, I personally don't agree with having sex with someone who wants more or is going to somehow be negatively impacted. That's not ethical or healthy. And that's at what point you say, hey, listen, this relationship's gone as far as I'm interested in going. And yeah, part of dating someone, having sex with someone is taking on responsibility to let them know that it's not something you want anymore. We have to be willing to do that. So my sense is that this is just a little more complex than you're looking to be involved in. Shut it down. That's got to be part of it. Having sex with someone or going on a date does not mean I'm here forever, right? Most relationships and most sexual relationships have an expiration date. We all know that. It might hurt to have a boundary set. He might not even be bothered. But um, yeah, it sounds like it's something you need to do. So please do that for you and him. And also, it's just not a great idea necessarily to always do that in a work environment. It can make things really complicated because you have to see them. And sometimes people don't have boundaries and they talk. So keep it to yourself. Do not expose him in any way. It is not your right to tell other people about this person, especially if they're not feeling ready and confident. And uh, yeah, it might not look like the best sex partner to, to be with. So that's it. All right, y'all. Podcasted the show at wearechannelq.com. You check out past episodes, binge them, post them, share them. And also, I hope you're checking out my live stream show. I'm listening live, and that's every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's on all the radio.com handles, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Also, you can go there to check out past episodes. It's always me, celebrity experts, talking about the intersections of COVID, self-care, mental health. It's really honest, really vulnerable. I like it. Very few shows really go there with their guests, right? Talking about mental health, what they're up to, their self-care, their coping. It's good stuff. Um, tomorrow's show, we'll be talking about a lot of stuff. One of them being talking to kids about race. Yep, it's important that we are ongoing with those conversations. Always calling it out, always dismantling, and uh, we're responsible for putting an end to that. And we can do that by raising younger generations to have anti-racism-based politics. Really accepting, you know, and supporting all diverse, creative, and exploited minorities. Um, yeah, all right, y'all, I'll be back tomorrow. You guys have a good rest of your night. Focus on self-care. Get a little joy in there and a rest as much as possible. Have a good rest of your night. <laughs>